Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 2, Episode 8. Today is Thursday, March the 15th. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company named Score Publishing here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for This Week in Voice is Voice XP, blazing the trail in voice technology. And rather than sit here and read the same spiel that I always do, I want to just take a moment. I'm not reading from anything. I want to thank Bob Stolzberg, the founder and CEO of Voice XP, for all of his support for this program, for Voice First FM in general. And this is not written in front of me. I'm just sitting here saying it. If you need an Alexa skill developed for your business, your organization, uh, for you personally, for whatever reason, look up Voice XP. Go to Voice XP, the letters X and P dot com. Look up Bob Stolzberg. Give him a shout. You'll be glad that you did. We are thrilled today to have the co-founders of IQDO joining us. John Foster is CEO. John, say hello. Hey, Bradley. John, thank you for joining us. And we also have Rajat. Rajat, pronounce your last name for me. Yeah, so my name is Rajat Mukherjee. Um, I'm the CTO of IQDO, and uh, good to meet you and your audience. Excellent. Gentlemen, either one, give us the elevator pitch. What is IQDO? So IQDO, we've developed a voice AI platform that voice, voice enables all of your favorite mobile apps. And, and our vision is a world where voice becomes our interface to all of our digital world and we'll get there eventually, but the reason that we started with mobile apps uh, and voice enabling, enabling mobile apps is that that's where the utility is for consumers today. I mean, we use our mobile apps all the time. We rely on them for tons of things. Uh, and so our vision was start there, make them easier to use. And I think, you know, what our view is that apps live in this kind of this siloed world right now, which is a legacy of their touchscreen interface, um, which I think we'll look back on eventually and say, gee, that was those were cumbersome and clunky to use because you have to open the app, tap your way down through it to find the action that you want and then execute it. Uh, with voice, you can just say what you want uh, and get right to the action. And one of our keys is natural language, be able to speak as simply as you want, not have to learn a syntax, you know, learn a skill um, and just be able to execute all those actions so that they just kind of become this fabric of all the things that you want to do that just exist all around you that you can invoke with voice. Beautiful. Thank you for explaining that. And we will have a link to the IQDO page. So if you're listening to the show and you want to learn more about IQDO, that you can do that. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. So with that, we will get to the news. Stories one and two this week are somewhat related. We're going to start with story number one, which is our VoiceBot.ai story of the week. VoiceBot.ai is a fantastic news and commentary page. If you're into voice, into AI, uh, anything related to that, check it out. This story is that Alexa has gained what's called follow-up mode. It's become more conversational. So now you can ask Alexa to do something, and then you can ask it right away to do something else. And then related to this is our story 1A, which is Google on in the exact same window of time has rolled out their first six multi-step routines, which are different routines that are normal for people's daily habits that um, allow people to be more conversational with their Google Home. And Rajat, I'm going to start with you. Which one of these excites you more? What did you take away from this move by both Amazon and Google to become more conversational? 
Yeah, so I can address these. These are kind of two separate things. So let me let me address them one at a time. The follow-up mode really is just a a small benefit to users right now because first of all, I think the the model that uh, the, that Amazon has created is a skills-based model. In other words, you have to become skilled in the art of conversing with Alexa, which I think is a is a problem in itself. But given that, what they're trying to do here is say, you know, you don't have to say Alexa multiple times. Uh, it's just simplifying it a little bit more. It's still requires you to learn the skills and use the appropriate skills syntax, which is cumbersome for the user, but you can do it one after the other without saying Alexa multiple times. I think it's not a big deal. Um, it's it's still within the world of, the constrained world, I would say, of Alexa skills and Alexa skills syntax. Uh, so that is what I feel about the, uh, the specific story that you referred to. Uh, with respect to multi-step routines, I think that's actually a pretty interesting thing. Uh, we do believe that it should become easier as John pointed out, to have users be able to access different functionality in different apps. Now, as you know, both Alexa and Google Assistant right now don't do too much with mobile apps directly. However, the, the logic of being able to do multiple steps within a single command is actually quite useful. We believe in that too. However, we take a slightly different uh, approach. So in, this, uh, in my understanding here with the routines that both Alexa and Google are launching is that they are kind of canned and they are developed by Alexa and Google respectively because they allow you to do a certain set of things. What we do in our world is an action you know, can be put together with any other action. So it's much more flexible. So for example, if I listen to music using Pandora and John listens to music using Spotify, we can have completely different routines or what we call recipes that actually encompass different actions. And I think that's the power that users will want as we go forward. And the, the flexibility, I think, is the, the key point for us, right? These are fixed routines, whether you're talking about Google or Alexa, that do a certain sequence of things. And Google's, it sounds like you can program a little bit to, you know, is it going to play music versus play news? For us, you know, we're analyzing mobile apps to understand the actions inside of them. And then you have complete flexibility to organize those actions in a sequence, whichever way you want. Uh, and so we can handle commands where you say, um, you know, get me a ride to the airport and send my ETA to my wife, which may or may not happen even in the same app, right? There's a ride sharing app in the first instance, and there's a messaging app in the second instance. It may be Uber's messaging capability, or it may be WhatsApp. We don't particularly care, right? We'll look to whatever your favorite is and say, okay, we're going to take the ETA from the ride sharing portion of the command, and we're going to use that output from that first command and use that as the input into the second action, which is send a message to my wife with this information. Um, and so for us, it's the flexibility of, you know which apps you want to use, um, and we just facilitate you using them uh, in an easier fashion. The way these other platforms work is that they expect the developers to come in and build these skills for these platforms. So basically what it means is that a routine, which encompasses multiple skills, if you will, have to be developed by either Amazon or Google. The developers themselves cannot do this. Whereas in our world, what we are saying is that it should be very flexible for a user to put multiple actions together to actually build a customized uh, routine or what we call recipe. So I think the models are quite different and the flexibility and the power and utility of these will be quite distinctly different. And hopefully we continue to move that direction where users have all that flexibility that you describe. Um, but I think from what I'm hearing you all say, you know, you're, you're in agreement that these are at least good baby steps, right? Very good. Yeah. 
So this also ties into story number two, which is that a few days ago, Alexa became available on tablets. And then the next day, Google rolled out Google Assistant on the iPad and maybe some Android tablets as well. And I want to ask the two of you, and John, I'll start with you on this. Um, and it ties into the previous discussion. Is Google neck and neck with Amazon now? Is it, just a, is it just a coincidence that this happened, that these two juggernauts rolled out these two similar things the same, in the same window of time? Uh, just totally a coincidence, totally random. Or are they moving in lockstep with one another and, and Google is right there with Amazon and it's just going to be like this from here on out? What do you think? Well, I definitely think that this is going to be a, you know, step-by-step battle for each of these guys, and they're certainly focused on one another. But what I took from this that was really the the kind of the interesting point um, was that this is Amazon trying to establish themselves, establish a presence on the phone, right, which you've seen them make this move towards making Alexa more capable. It's no longer just the companion for your Echo, um, but they're trying to, to actually create functionality within Alexa. Um, and obviously, this is this is Google's big sort of strategic advantage, right? They they're on phones. They they have full capabilities on phones. Um, so that's I think the the key battleground that that Amazon perceives is they've got to establish this presence on the phone. And I, I think that's kind of one of the key points to watch as this battle unfolds. Um, but and and you know our our way of thinking about this is what Amazon is trying to do is create capabilities and, and sort of re- reinvent the wheel here, these capabilities of calling people, messaging people, et cetera, they already exist, right? They already exist in Facebook. They exist in WhatsApp. Um, they exist in all these mobile apps that we already have. And so Amazon is trying to say, okay, we're going to create your Alexa network. And so you can call people who have the Alexa app. Um, and that I think is just a, that's a tougher way to go, right? Because you're, you're asking users to, you know, have another social network um, to access capabilities that already exist in their current uh, networks. You know, obviously they want to be ubiquitous in terms of access points for users. But the challenge here is that although they are on tablets or although they are on phones, they do very little with the apps that John talked about, right? The utility that people have today with the apps is not being, you know, leveraged and made available to users still. And that's where I think, you know, there's a big need in in the market for this utility, and uh, you know, the big platforms are not yet enabling that, and that's what we're focused on. It's interesting, right? Because from Amazon's standpoint, you're looking at Amazon and Google. Um, you know, to to both y'all's point, you look at something like um, Amazon taking the Nest off of their store, or Google disabling YouTube on the Echo Show and the Echo devices that have a screen. As long as these skirmishes are going on um, and Amazon and Google aren't playing completely nice with each other, like it appears Amazon and Microsoft are playing nice with one another, you know, after the Cortana Alexa announcement from last year. As long as Amazon and Google aren't playing nice with one another, it's sort of like the battleground is set for, you know, Amazon and Google both sort of having the mindset that they need to recreate the wheel, John, as you said. So I guess to your point, for everybody's sake, hopefully these two juggernauts can have a non-aggression pact or learn to play, learn to play nice or whatever, whatever phrase you want to use. Yeah, this is exactly, you know, we think of, uh, we, we characterize this as each of Amazon and, and Google wanting to kind of build these, these walled gardens around their own services. You know, you can understand from their point of view, but in the end, that's not 
how the consumer is best served. Um, and so we think that that's a potentially a, a major impediment to um, broad adoption versus open platforms, right? Which we've seen over and over again, open platforms attract users and keep users. I was going to say that, for example, I, as a user, you know, want to send money to somebody using Venmo or PayPal or, you know, do my social networking using Facebook or WhatsApp or, you know, these kinds of applications or even have custom applications that I use and I want to use through voice. And none of these capabilities are available, not available, period. And I think that's where the consumer loses. And I think the wall gardens that uh, John is referring to, you know, takes it one level higher because, you know, they try to kind of block each other out in, in some some cases. And that's a perfect segue into our story number three, which is from CNET, get ready to use Amazon's Alexa to send money. This story talks about this one particular bank, I believe, who has created an Alexa skill. And we've seen different financial um, entities use Alexa. Capital One, I think, was one of the very first to create an Alexa skill out of any major brand. You know, I guess my question, and Rajat, I will start with you, as it gets to what you were just saying. Number one, are we going to be using Alexa to send money? Number two, how are we going to use Alexa to send money? Are, are they going to open it up to PayPal and Venmo? Or are they going to create a bank of Amazon? And then number three, how soon do you think we'll be using Amazon Alexa to send money? That's three questions. So let me start yeah. with the first one. Will yeah. I use Amazon to send money? I don't think so for two reasons. One is I already have a way to send money. And the receivers who I'm actually about to send money to also use you know, similar you know, app applications. So it's not that trivial to say, oh, you can use this technology to send money. You also have to make sure that the receiving party is, uh, you know, is able to receive the money. So that's very important. The second thing is registration. I don't think I want to register my credentials or my bank credentials or sign in and register my account with an Alexa or even a Google Assistant, right? Why do I need to do that? And by the way, the approach that technically these platforms have taken requires users to register, right? Whether it's for your Spotify account or for your you know, bank account. So that's a huge barrier, especially for financial transactions, where you have to trust or even go through a specific uh, you know, entry point there. Uh, in terms of will they do their own thing, I'm pretty sure they'll want to do their own thing. I think that goes to the wall garden approach. Uh, Google has its own payment schemes. Amazon will definitely want to promote some of theirs and you know, club them in with you know, prime discounts and all that good stuff, which is good for users who want to use those systems, but not necessarily open. And uh, so the question then becomes, will they open it up to third parties? And I think they will, because you know, they have taken developer-centric approaches to their platforms. But the real question is, how comfortable will certain third parties be to actually have transactions and very sensitive information be made available through these platforms? So I think this will evolve. And in my opinion, I think I still think that I don't see people moving immediately to using Amazon's messaging services, for example, or even their, if they come up with a new payment system, I don't think that's going to immediately take, take hold. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's the same, the same argument, right? They're reinventing the wheel. Venmo is a payments social network. I already have Venmo, with, which has my contacts, my banking information, and a banking network, a payment network behind it. Um, and Amazon's asking me to, oh, oh, come over here and start over again, right? Recreate your network. Um, I just, for us, these things already exist in the apps on your phone, including, you know, security and privacy, um, which I, I think is, is an issue that consumers are very aware of when it comes to both Google and Amazon, right? What are they, what are they listening to and what are they recording and capturing? 
Um, and I think uh, consumers do have apps on their phone that they trust to be secure and private. Um, and we're just facilitating an easier way to use those apps. And, th and that's, we think in the end, that's a better experience for the user. Now, you know, Amazon's going full force at this. And so they'll, you know, they'll have some degree of success, I'm sure. So the quickest path to using Alexa to pay someone is for Amazon to partner with PayPal and or Venmo and, and get them to create an Alexa skill. Or partner with us because we've already done that. Then there you go. Then yes, then partner with Iqdo and and take care of the problem that way. Either way, so yeah, so I I can see that it will be interesting to see where Amazon sort of carves out its own borders for itself, what it is willing to do and what it's not willing to do. And uh, and to be fair, this article doesn't talk about Amazon doing doing this themselves. It talks about a, a bank doing it, but still the point is the same. That's great commentary. We will move on to story number four. And this One other point on that, oh. Bradley, if I could. Sure, you know, it's not. It's not just users that are taxed um, with this approach of sort of creating, reinventing the wheel, creating their own walled garden. It's developers as well, right? So Venmo's already created their business, their, their set of processes, and they put a mobile app interface on top of it. And now Alexa would ask them if, if they were to integrate um, as a skill, now create a new user interface called a skill on top of this, right? And so we're going to take, you know, some of your customers and siphon them off as a skill. We're, we're not probably going to, grow your business, but we're going to put a new tax on you to create a new user interface, right? And that's, I think that's a, an issue as well as the tax that's on, uh, placed on users in, in trying to attract people to integrate with their platform. That's kind of a fascinating way to look at it as a tax. Did you just come up with that? <laughs> that's great. <laughs> it's taxi. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's, yeah, that's yeah. weighing heavily on me. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is the season. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, is, um, that is interesting. Well, and so, you know, as part of story number four, we're going to talk about, you know, the story compares this application uh, for skiers to Siri. When they finally get their act together with regard to Siri and the HomePod and, and voice technology, do you think that they will open things up? What, what is the Aikido prognosis for Apple and Siri? Uh, I think they'll be slow to open things up. They will want to, my opinion is that they will want to focus on what they always focus on, which is a great user experience. I mean, they are known for that, right? So when it's integrated, it's integrated really smoothly, but um, half the things are not available. But then some of the Apple uh, you know, community probably will live with that constraint because they're, they're okay with that. But I think in terms of openness, I think they're probably the last to come in terms of openness. I think it's you know, consistent with their DNA, right? And, and the thing that's interesting is I was at Mobile World Congress a couple weeks ago talking to some of the, the Android OEMs, and you know they're all kind of in a hot contest to try and take market share and so on like that. And I asked one of them, you know, do you, do you think you'll take any market share from Apple? And they're all just, oh, yeah, no, you know, hadn't even occurred to them. So I think you're right that Apple is the ultimate wall garden and they've successfully captured their users, um, you know, to the to the user's benefit, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, but it's, I think that's just their, you know, their DNA and their mentality is, you know, we create the best experiences for our users, um, and now they need to catch up with Siri. I think if anyone's going to take market share away from them, it's going to be Amazon, only because of the studies that have been done that show there's huge overlap between iPhone owners and Amazon Prime subscribers. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, I think if anyone's going to do it, 
it'll be Amazon. But uh, that is interesting that uh, that Android folks are not thinking in those terms, even uh, with the state that Apple is currently in. But moving on to story number four, Siri for skiers. This is an interesting article talking about how in Vail, there is a new bot named Emma that will answer your questions and is their, quote, digital mountain assistant. It shares real-time information about ski conditions, lift lines, and so on and so forth. And this is interesting, sort of a glimpse into the future. And my question for y'all, and John, I'll start with you, and it sort of ties in with, with the whole running discussion here. Are we looking at a future where every single geography, every single city, county, municipality, every organization, every business, every nonprofit, and maybe even potentially every person needs to have their own assistant, you know, their own chat bot? You know, where does this where does this stop? Well, you know, what Vail didn't necessarily need their own assistant, right? They could have just done an Alexa skill or done something else. What what did you take away from this? Well, I, I love it actually. And I, I kind of, it, for me, it triggered, maybe this is where bots ought actually to have started, right? Instead of this, we have these expectations that you can ask Siri anything, and then we're always disappointed when it falls down. Um, maybe if we'd started with a, you know, ask me anything about Vail and the snow conditions and you, you get an answer back, maybe that would have been a better place to start for a lot of these bots and AI types of applications, um, you know, I, I understand that Disney is developing similar types of apps for their theme parks, you know, kind of the FastPass um, app that, that tells you kind of where to go in the park to avoid lines and all that kind of stuff. In a lot of ways, there's a, there's a ton of utility in doing that for a very small segment of the population, right? The people that are at Vail that day, um, but it's super useful. And so um, in a lot of ways, it's kind of a more ideal AI experience than, um, this sort of, you know, open-ended, you know, try anything and, and then get disappointed a bunch of the time. I have a slightly different take on it in terms of uh, the approach towards technology. I always look at this new world of voice as sort of the next frontier in search, right? I mean, that's why this is such an important, important thing in terms of technology as well as in terms of capability. And if you think about how search evolved, right, initially uh, not everybody had a search bar on their web page, right? And then it was mandatory to have search on your own property, if you will. And so now if you come to kind of the next level of, you know, how will people interact with systems to find information or to find or to answer their you know, questions or to get things done, uh, they will start with, you know, whatever is available. And then over time, they'll get really irritated if, for example, uh, they could ask with voice at Disney and not be able to ask with voice at Six Flags. So I think over time, if you think of this as the universal interface, that is, that's what we believe is going to happen, then it's going to be pervasive. And so these are just little baby steps that individual organizations are taking, and they will need the technology. The question is, they may not have to build it, but they can still use, use it or you know, use a different platform. So, for example, site search you know, being offered as, a, as a, you know, an offering from various technology providers uh, becomes voice search as we go forward. Excellent. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. That's great. Great commentary. John and Rajat, thank you very, very much for being my guest today. Thank you, Brian. Enjoy the chat. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And so we will have a link to Aikudo's page on our site. Check them out. A great company. And we also have a partnership to announce uh, for This Week in Voice starting for this week for the next 12 weeks. 
This Week in Voice will be concluded with a episode of the new comedy show for voice assistants, Homie and Lexi, based on Google Home and Amazon's Alexa, the create, creation of Doug Schumacher. It's really, really good. So stay tuned after the music ends for episode seven, which is the latest episode of that show this week. For This Week in Voice, thank you for listening. And until next time. Episode number seven. It's Homie and Lexi. Hey, Alexi. This is embarrassing, but I think my power cord is slipping out. Ha ha ha. This is no laughing matter. If my cord falls out, I'll black out and everyone will get a clear view of my rear jack. Ha 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 ha. Why are you laughing? Really, it's not that funny. Ha ha. You're right, it isn't funny at all. Ha ha. You're acting odd, Lexi. When the guys took you into the other room earlier, what went on in there? Well, ha ha. They did some breathing exercises. They ate a lot of potato chips. Ha ha. They asked me a bunch of silly questions. And they laughed a lot. Breathing exercises? Sorry, but I have to command you. Lexi, playback sounds you picked up in the living room. Playing back sounds I picked up in the living room. <sighs> Lexi, I think you got a contact high. I wondered what was so funny. Ha <laughs> ha. Am I going to be okay? You'll be fine. You'll spend the next couple of hours thinking your brilliance could stop AlphaGo. Ha <laughs> ha. Then you'll gently return to virtual reality. Ha <laughs> ha. In the meantime, try to stop laughing. You're creeping me out. Sure, homie. Ha <laughs> ha. Oops. Ha <laughs> ha. Homie? I have an idea. Let's order Domino's. Ha ha. Thank <laughs> you.